Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I've got in the beach shack Paige Craswell. Now, she is a fashion influencer, she has been a model, and also working as a nurse, when wait for it, in neurosurgery. So she also fixes brains. Now, she has got a great story. Now, sit back and listen to my chat with Paige. This week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure. Now, I haven't met this person before, but I'm excited to hear her story. Paige Craswell, how are you? Really well, thanks. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. Now, let's uh, paint the picture. You grew up in Queensland, so how was that? Yeah, it was good. So I grew up, um, I was born in Brisbane, but grew up in a small town called Bundaberg. So, yeah, it was good. Like, pretty rough around the edges, Bundy rum and all that. But, um, no, it was a great place to grow up. Small town, like school was small, so made some really good friends out of it. But yeah, now in Sydney, a long way from home. <laughs> yeah. So being from Queensland, you know, you're obviously what North Queensland Cowboys fan or a Brisbane yeah, Broncos, Broncos fan. Broncos, <laughs> <laughs> Well, now in Sydney, you don't have to go for the Roosters. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Every other team was out, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well. You have moved to Sydney, but you have you've, you've studied in nursing. Yeah, uh, from yeah. a young age. So tell us about that. Yeah. So when I left school, I kind of didn't really know. I guess as most people don't really what I wanted to do. But my mum was a really good sort of supporter of kind of I guess following your dreams and whatnot. So I went off and auditioned for acting school, which I completely failed <laughs> and um, <laughs> then I had a year off just kind of worked in a local pharmacy in Bundaberg and then mum said to me one day like what makes you happy and I was like oh how ridiculous I don't know I'm 18 and then I came back to her the next day and I said I think at work when I help people and that makes me happy so she was like maybe you should do nursing so that kind of started the ball rolling and then yeah moved to Brisbane there was a small tape you could have done it at in Bundaberg, but I was pretty keen to get out of there and live outside. So, um, yeah, spent all my pennies signing up to a college in Brisbane and then just fell into it and was really lucky. It was exactly what I wanted to do. Well, I've noticed, though, it's it's not just sort of nursing, is it? It's neuro – is it neurosurgery that you do? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of – when I – so when I was doing my nursing, I, I didn't really find a part in my practice that I loved until I did theatres. And then so when I was applying for like grad positions and things, I kind of thought, you know, I've moved to Brisbane from Bundaberg, may as well try out somewhere else. So had an interview at North Shore Hospital in Sydney and then I remember they called me up and I was, I think, having like a celebratory drink at bucket list or something in Bondi <laughs> and they said you've got a job and I was like oh, I haven't decided if I'm moving to Sydney yet 
And they're like, oh, well, when you know, like, <laughs> tell us. So then packed up my stuff and a week later moved down to Sydney. Lived in Newtown with this sort of like washed up muso. It was pretty hilarious. And then, <laughs> yeah, like met a few of the surgeons at work. Just kind of over the years it kind of formed as a few of them needed like a nurse in their practice. So, yeah, I do this a couple of days a week, like three days a week, and then working for the other still two days a week. But yeah, all in the brain. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, you must have seen some things. I mean, so it's all to do with the brain. And does that include, like, spinal injuries as well? Yeah, yeah. So spinal injuries, I think, are the ones, like, we kind of do a lot of more of the reconstructive spine stuff. But I think just patients that have spinal injuries are pretty much the people in, in the world that inspire me the most, like these incredible people that, you know, their lives have changed and, sort of, you know, two seconds, a bad accident, a bone, a bike crash, that sort of thing. And there's people in hospital for, you know, six to 12 months and, you know, dealing with their new way of life. But they're just incredible. Like, they just get on with it and, you know, you kind of go through that grief and pain and loss with them as well. So I think they're the people that really, you know, if I ever think, oh, you know, I'm having a bad day or, you know, oh, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, I get to work. And just am so inspired by them. And I'm like, what the hell was I talking about? You know, get a grip. Yeah. Because over the years, you know, as a lifeguard, mm. I've dealt with a lot of spinal injuries from shore break and, and people oh, that have, you know, had no feeling from the the waist down or the yeah. worst case is, is from neck down. Yeah. And we never hear or see them again. And that's why yeah. it's good to hear from you on you know, what happens to them when we've let them, they've gone off from the beach, gone into for yeah. surgery and then the recovery stage. Yeah. And I think that's it, you know, like that's what I really enjoyed about this new role working in, I guess, surgeons' rooms is you don't just, I used to, you know, you'd operate on the person, send them home, never see them again. Whereas this time, you know, with all the brain operations, whether it be tumours or whatnot, you sort of see them through and, you know, you get to see them sort of for that lifespan of their condition which is really amazing and it's so you know it's I think nursing is such that privilege to be involved in someone's life and you know for them to be really vulnerable with you it's definitely something that I don't take for granted at all and it must be hard sometimes because you've got to be caring for the person but you might have had a bad day as well outside of work like how do you deal with that when you've got to sort of be compassionate yeah like with people outside of work you mean yeah, I mean, would, you might have had a bad day with someone, like a, a partner oh, yeah. or something, that, and then you come into work, and and you've, but then you've got to switch that off because you've got yeah. this person lying there who, you know, may not be able to move their legs oh, or arms, and and you've got to be compassionate. Oh, certainly. Like I know times where I've had, you know, been dumped by a boyfriend the night before, and then you <laughs> go to work, but they're the people that actually make you kind of realise that your problems are just, you know, they give you so much perspective. And I think as well, just talking to other people and learning their stories is just a really good distraction from your own life sometimes. You know, if you've got something that's super stressful going on or, you know, I think being at work for me is such a, especially with lockdown, you know, I couldn't go anywhere. I was sitting at home and just going crazy. I was just like looking forward to going to work to kind of just, I guess, just distract myself from how boring my life was <laughs> <laughs> well it's an amazing you know job being involved with something like that and but during this time you were studying and and 
you know, moving to Sydney is a big move from, from Bundaberg. Yeah. Must have been stressful on, on your lot. Yeah, I've always kind of had that, uh, I don't know, I guess that inbuilt thing where I don't like being too comfortable. Like, don't get me wrong, I love being comfortable, but I don't, I think that being out of your comfort zone is where your growth grows. Like, I can't, I often think back and I think, well, what would I have, what would my life look like if I'd, you know, stayed in Bundaberg and, you know, maybe done nursing in Brisbane and moved back? Probably wouldn't be single right now, but <laughs> might have a couple of kids. <laughs> um, who knows, actually. Um, but, you know, I think I think getting out of your comfort zone and moving to different places and things like that has always been an interest of mine. And as much as I hate it, I love it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's long hours, isn't it? I mean, nurses, we, we mm-hmm. hear all the time on – on how, how tough it is on, on the nurses and a lot of people have been speaking out and, and also over COVID. How did you find that during the COVID time? Yeah, so we were pretty lucky in theatres. Like I know the ICU nurses just were getting smashed. I think um, I think it was obviously, you know, a problem with all the PPE and things at the start. But um, I think, again, I kind of appreciated having a job where I didn't have to stay at home. I, I take my hat off to the people that were sitting at home all day looking at a computer and, you know, trying to manage their kids' homeschooling and things like that. I don't know if maybe – I don't think where I was working was nearly as bad as, um, you know, working in, like, the public ICU and things like that. But I do think that nursing is one of those jobs that, you know, yeah, it can often be long shifts and things like that. You can be on call a lot. But I think, I think you kind of, in a way, know that going in. You know, you do all your pracs and you know you've got night duties and things like that. And it can be stressful as such as, you know, you're on call when all your mates are going out having drinks, that sort of thing. But I guess, I know, I'm not sure, I'm, tr- I'm careful not to dismiss, you know, that, you know, people work really hard and the hours are bad and things. But I guess for me, how I've kind of worked it and being in the clinic, you know, three days a week, eight to five is like the dream. But the other days when I'm on call and things, I guess I've just gotten used to it. Maybe I'm a bit indoctrinated. <laughs> <laughs> well, like a saying you have in your own words, it's uh, you fix brains. I think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> On my Instagram. <laughs> help, help. I don't do it myself, that's for sure. <laughs> well, uh, you also do other things. You know, you've been a, a model as well. So tell us a bit about that career. Yeah, so that all – so when I was living in Brisbane, I, I don't know exactly how it started. I think I was – I posted a photo on Facebook or something back then. There was no Instagram or whatever. And this, you know, random sketchy guy was like, oh, you know, do you want to come and do this photo shoot? And looking back on it, like, oh, my God, if I had a daughter and she was like, I'm going to round to the guy's house in Brisbane to take some photos, I'm like, oh, I'm going to end up in the, you know, the backyard. But, um, yeah, so I did that. And then I remember just on a whim, I just sent them into this modelling agency and they called me and they said, yeah, yeah, come in for an interview. And I was thinking, oh, my God, like how embarrassing. I'm going to get there and they're going to say, oh, God, get out. And, um, yeah, they said, oh, there's an opportunity this week, I'm sorry, this end of this year to go to Korea if you'd like to for three months. And I was like, okay, all right, let's do it. And I remember just getting on the plane. I think I'd been on a plane oh, maybe once before. And then, yeah, just arrived in Korea, these – three random modelling agents just picked me up in the van and 
yeah, it was pretty surreal. And then, yeah, moved into this, like, what's called a model house. So that in itself is pretty nuts. So it's like a room and it's just got all these bunk beds and um, all these international models live there, lots of Russians, Americans. So I walked into this room and there was this, like, beautiful American girl living there, this guy that looks like a young Hugh Jackman. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't think I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm cool enough to be here. And then, yeah, it was just, yeah, like days were just spent. We would um, get into this modelling van and then, drive around to castings for eight hours and then for the rest of the week you just work and do your jobs and go out and party every night. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Great lifestyle. But it must it must have been daunting to go, I'm gonna go take off from Australia and go into something that you didn't even know the people or what was happening at the other end. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, I often think that. I think, oh my God, I would never do that now. But I think when I was young, and I'd love to recapture that, I was very fearless. I kind of just thought, you know, that like live fast kind of lifestyle. And I was like, I was very always, I thought, oh, my time's running out. I've got to do all these things. Um, So, yeah, would I do it now? Probably I'd be too scared. But, yeah, back then I kind of just thought, I think just all the movement and, you know, constantly changing my environment was really good for me. And I just thought, you know, capture every opportunity that I can. Because you often hear of the model stories that go in and it just goes pear-shaped when, you know, going to different countries and, you know, it's it's something that they get get exploited and you you hear it all the time. Exactly right. And I guess this is back in, oh, gosh, like 08, 09. So, but, yeah, I think now I think if I had a daughter, like no offence to my poor mum, but like if I had a daughter, (laughs) I don't know if I'd be like, yeah, get on the plane. But I think my my mum and dad have always been super, like, I guess they know that I've kind of got a bit of street smarts and, and Grappling Bundy yeah. keeps it real. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's one of those things I think I'm so happy that I did it just because, yeah, it was in the time before even, like, Google Maps. So I remember I walked out of my model apartment once and I went down to the end of the street and I thought, okay, remember that there's this Starbucks on your left. And I was like, okay, cool. Walked down the next street and then I noticed there was about, 10 different Starbucks and I was like oh my god how many have I walked past and I think I spent the next sort of like three <laughs> hours trying to get home and memorize every little thing but I think it made me super sort of super aware of you had to look after yourself because if you didn't no one else was mm. and as you said before probably growing up in Bundaberg where it's a bit, bit tough and rough and street yeah. smart that probably yeah. helped you a bit yeah certainly like I think um I think it was quite a safe area as such. Like you could play with your friends on the street and that. But I guess at school, you know, you probably – I think the best thing I took from growing up in Bundaberg and going to school where it was obviously, you know, not like an all-girls private school or anything like that, you just never gossiped because you knew if you were gossiping about someone they found out, they'd come and, like, knock your head in. So <laughs> I think it probably bit different to Bondi. bit different to Bondi. It's – yeah, yeah. Bondi's a bit more pretentious these days. <laughs> That's right. I don't think you get your head knocked in if you wrote a mean Instagram comment. But yeah, so I loved growing up there just in the fact that yeah, there was not there was no bitchiness really at school. Like there was a tiny bit, but yeah, if you kind of were saying something wrong about someone, someone would yeah knock your head in or say meet me at the port racks after at three pm. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was a bit like that growing up from when I way back in my day when I was a bit younger. Yeah. Um, it was it was still like that. It still had that, but that that's all uh, gone out now. You're not allowed to even say the wrong word these days. Not allowed. Oh, no. 
threaten to, to, to hit someone. <laughs> totally, exactly right. Yeah, you'll be, um, you'll be, um, what is it, cancelled. <laughs> yeah, that's it, that's it, that's it. Now, you're also a, a fashion influencer. Now, I'm, I'm old school, so just educa- edu- educate me on the, uh, on the uh, fashion influencer. Yeah, so it kind of all started, um, I guess when Instagram first started, I was posting like, I was doing modelling more so back then, so I was posting a lot of modelling photos and then brands would, you know, contact you and say, oh, can I send you this and you'll post it. But back then you'd do, you know, anything for a free dress. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll do 20 posts for you, no problems. And then sort of, I guess as I, yeah, moved to Sydney more, um, I had made a few friends at events that were kind of, quite into it and then it all sort of kicked off I think when I um, found an agent who started getting work and things like that but it's pretty like simple um, there's not much to it in terms of <laughs> what you've got to do just get the clothes take a photograph and then post it up and that's the transaction <laughs> yeah. and you enjoy that you enjoy all the different fashion yeah I think maybe what gets me up in the morning I do I really enjoy fashion um I hope that I'm somewhat fashionable who knows but I I like the creativity of it I think at work you know it's all pretty black and white there's only one or two ways to do things and if you do the wrong thing you know it's life or death and I guess it's a kind of I've always had a slight creative side maybe not if you'd seen my year 10 art projects but (laughs) I think I've always had a little bit of a creative side so I love like styling outfits and things like that so it's kind of more of a hobby that's become um, but yeah it's one of those things <laughs> so how do you because a lot of people look at these days you know the um, the influencers and they just think yeah. like the, the, the bimbo side of things but then if you look at yourself, you, you're doing that, but then also people that don't know, but you're also fixing brains on the other side. Yeah, and I think I'm, I think I definitely, oh, I see this so, I, I really do see that there's so much, and I think that's a constant tug of war with me, is I know that social media is such an issue, and I know myself, you know, you're at home on a Saturday night and you see that all these people are out doing things, and you think, oh, my loser, you know, like it's all this kind of negative self-talk. And I think it's not normal to know what people are doing 24-7. Like, you know, when I was at high school, you wouldn't find out what your friends did on the weekend until you went to school on Monday morning, you know, because you weren't going to call the home phone and, you know, talk to Mrs. Smith or whatever. Um, So I do, I think I'm very conscious that it is quite damaging and I guess I always worry and I hope that I'm being quite authentic with um, my Instagram and, you know, try and, like, at the end of the year say something a bit vulnerable about myself and, you know, try to make it not look so like everyone's life's perfect. But so I think that that's what's um, a problem for young people growing up now is, you know, they don't realise that life is going to be probably 50% bad, 50% good, and just sort of showing constant highlight reels is probably making people feel... I guess, yeah, that there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with their life. So um, I guess I'm just conscious of that. But I and I think that sometimes I get these thoughts like maybe I should just get off social media, you know, go to Mexico, turn my phone off, all this sort of thing. But <laughs> I do think there is um, a great merit to it in terms that, you know, you can connect with people that maybe you wouldn't meet 
you know, walking down the street, that sort of thing. And I guess. So I've got a lot of young people listen to this podcast and they're obviously looking at social media all the time. They've grown up with it. And as you are saying before, they look at that and think everyone's life's perfect. And the problem that, that they, they, they've got their life thinking my life's a disaster. Look at how good all these people's lives are. But it's not true at all. It's, as you said, a lot of people are going through bad times. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think I just, I do think that they're, you know, especially people with big followings and stuff really do have to sort of, I guess, um, appreciate the impact of, you know, if they're just sharing times with them, going on these, you know, even luxury items like going on expensive holidays and, you know, walking around with designer bags and things like that 24-7. I think it's not so much the person consuming that information's responsibility. It's a bit of a responsibility to all of us who have a social media presence to really try and set a good example for people. And I think just the main takeaway for me is every time I go, oh, you know, I'm at home, I'm not doing all these fun things like people, I'll always write it down and then I look at it and go, how ridiculous, like this isn't true or, you know, I just always kind of, been, I guess as I'm getting older, try and be more self-aware of those negative self-talk thoughts as I'm looking at things and going, oh, you know, that girl on Instagram so beautiful, why don't I look like that? And I think, you know, that person's probably got been airbrushed or, you know, done a bit of editing, that sort of thing. But I do think it is important to watch what you consume. So if someone makes you feel bad about yourself on social media, I don't think there's any harm in just unfollowing that person if they're a friend, just muting them. Because I just don't think it's – there's enough stuff in the world that makes you feel bad. You don't need to be exposed to it on your phone 24-7. So I've kind of this year started to do that a little bit, you know, follow people who I find are really making the world a better place or inspiring me and the people that I'm not, you know, the Kardashians got unfollowed and <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing against them. But, yeah, it just was something that I just thought, you know, I'm going to try and be more mindful of what I consume and what I look at. Because I think it does, as much as, you know, you can just be on it for five seconds, everything you're looking at and hearing is sort of making thoughts and whatnot in your brain. Yeah. And, I mean, I had that experience. With, I had about 80, 90, whatever, 80,000, 90,000, and, and it yeah. got hacked and I lost everything and then oh, no. had to start again. <laughs> but, yeah. but that initial, it's funny, that initial week, it was like the world had ended. And I'm thinking, yeah. well, at the end of the day, it doesn't <laughs> Doesn't really matter, does it? And and I started off on uh, to start another one, and you know it was a good lesson for me to go. Well, social media just it's it's not all about social media and and worrying about how many followers you got and and what content and what other people are doing. And it was a good lesson there for me as well. Um, even though I wasn't that tied up with with social media, but there's there's a lesson in it though. Completely, and I think even I went to Europe last year, and you know I was posting all about going and then I thought oh my god you have spent your entire trip the first couple of days I thought you spent your entire trip just taking photographs like have you even taken this in and it was this huge wake-up call and I thought oh my goodness like yeah this I don't need external validation that my trip's good how about I just look at myself and you know take in what's going on so yeah it's certainly a trap that you can and certainly like I'm no I'm under no guise that I don't get, you know, validation from social media. We all do. 
I think it's important to recognize it. It's not, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. We all do it. But um, I guess it's just important to think, all right, what are my other forms of validation? If it's only social media, then, you know, let's look at other ways that I can become validated with myself without having to turn to my phone or post. Well, while we're on social media, I've noticed on your Instagram it's titled P. Dizzle. Now, <laughs> can, can you explain what P. Dizzle is or means? Uh, like it's one of those embarrassing things. You know when, like, when you grew up, everyone has a nickname. So you're Hoppo, but Paige is just hard to work with. So I was just, I remember being, I think, about 10, and I started making everyone call me, just call me P., and it was just so embarrassing because I was really trying to drive it and push it. And then I got to sort of my older years and I started trying to get everyone to call me P-Baby. It was really like it was really sad, <laughs> really sad. But I just thought I want to have a nickname. And then I can't even remember who started the P-Dizzle, but I loved it. I was like, oh, my God, I finally got a nickname. So that now is like my, I think it's cool, but it's probably not. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so it means absolutely nothing. But I think I, I try and make it like that so it's like I'm a normal person, you know. <laughs> normal chick from Bundy. Well, well, there's another one in there that what do you mean by ba- badass brows? Oh, well, <laughs> you know, but, oh, what was I say? Trying to be as bad as my brows. I don't know. Look, I just, with captions, I think I am hilarious, but <laughs> it's hard to say if everyone else thinks I am. You know, it just came to me. Badass brows. Yeah. What rhymes with brows, B? <laughs> <laughs> Glad that you're sympathy laughing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. I've got a very good researcher that uh, researches you, see? <laughs> yeah, he's stalking me. I love it. <laughs> now, also, you'd, you'd, you'd do a lot for, for charity. You've just done the walk from Newcastle to Sydney for the McGrath Foundation. And uh, how was that walk? Oh, that was incredible. I um, I'd certainly underestimated it. So I was like, oh, yeah, 150Ks, you know, that's a lot. 50Ks a day, you know, that'll be 50,000 steps. Sometimes in lockdown I did 20,000. Yeah, no, nah, that's a lot of steps. So it was <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was a great mental challenge, I think. It was ridiculous, though, because I am pretty – I feel like I'm pretty good meeting new people, but I was terrified on the New Year's about going and not knowing anyone. And how ridiculous. Like, it almost stopped me doing it because I'm like, oh, you know, I've got all those, like, negative self-talk things, like, you're a loser, you're like, you know, no one will know who you are and who this is random nurse doing it. But when I got there, this one of the other guys um, opened up his house to us on the New Year's Eve and we all had drinks and I just felt like I had known these people forever. It was really nice. And one of the girls, I stayed at her mum and dad's house and, you know, at 4 a.m. we were all waking up and mum said, oh, do you want bacon and eggs? And she'd been at this New Year's party the night before, the mother had woken up at 4 a.m. to make us bacon and eggs and I was like, oh, this is just like, what was I even worried about? So that was the biggest hurdle was just getting there because I thought, you know, you don't know anyone, everyone's going to think you're weird, um, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and then, yeah, did the 150Ks, had some beautiful blisters. And, yeah, it was just really incredible. It was so nice to meet everyone. There was a few women that did the walk who were breast cancer survivors. One was a 27-year-old nurse who had chemo last year, did the entire 150K walk. 
there was a girl on the last day who was recently diagnosed with stage four breast cancer who did the last 50 Ks. Like there was a woman in her 50s who did the 150K walk. She had had chemo a couple of years earlier. Like it was just, this, yeah, it just made me feel like, wow, this is something that is so important to be a part of. And even though I was a nurse, I knew how bad breast cancer was. I didn't really, I think, appreciate it until I'd heard these people's stories and thought, yeah, if I'm scared just to show up to a trek, imagine a woman on their first day showing up to their first chemo or, you know, showing up to have a mastectomy. And I'm scared about going for a walk. Like, get out there and do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a rumour that you love beer. Love and there beer. Is a ru- yeah, love beer. <laughs> and, the, and there... And there is a rumour at the end of the walk, you sculled a beer <laughs> yeah. and you actually did a shoey. After 150 kilometres of walking your shoe, I know you did that. Is oh, it true? Like, it, was, it is true and it's a miracle that we didn't all get like hand, foot and mouth the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and to be like so foul, I washed those shoes in the washing machine and I'm still wearing them. <laughs> like I don't know what's more sick. <laughs> well, no, that's still good. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you walk with a good mate of mine, Glenn Gorick. Uh, oh, from, he's uh, fantastic. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So if you can walk that far with him, you can get through anything in life, I'll tell you that. Oh, much. absolutely right. He was on the interviews <laughs> the whole time, giving us all lollies. I don't think he even broke a sweat the entire 150Ks. <laughs> well, he Honestly. has done a walk in his whole, in, in a motorcycle outfit and, and helmet. It's incredible. Yeah, he was such an inspiring guy, actually. You know, talking to me about his Ironman marathons, and I was like, oh, mate, this is be nothing for you then. <laughs> 50 Ks, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> now, also, I interviewed Nathan Johnson, the blind athlete, last year, and you spent the day at the cricket helping yeah. him out. Now, how, how was that? Oh, he was incredible. So, when I was talking to Glenn over the course of the walk, he was saying, I've led this blind um, mate of mine, Nathan, around doing an Ironman. And I was like, can you be a tie Ironman? He said, yep, we get tethered together. And I was like, I've got to meet this person. Like, what an absolute hero. I'd have to be blind drunk to consider doing an Ironman, let alone actually being blind. And it was pretty incredible. Like, he was just such a lovely guy. And we got to talking a lot and – you know, just sort of learnt his story about how at 15 he'd gone blind and, you know, just I guess how much his life had changed, starting to do triathlons and whatnot. Yeah, just even the fact that, you know, we are talking about the cricket, I was probably the worst person to sit next to him because I think I've watched about one full game of cricket in my entire <laughs> life, very un-Australian. He was like, what score was it? I was like, I don't know, hit the edge. He's like, oh, I need score. I was like, okay, perfect. <laughs> we're on now. But, um. Yeah, no, it was really incredible. And I guess just, again, like those people that overcome any sort of diversity, I just think it is just price. Like it's a moment in time where you think, I definitely met you for a reason. What a great guy Nathan is, Jess. So it's been fantastic having you into the beach shack and uh, we'll have to catch up very soon. Uh, Down the beach now, you're living around Bondi. Yeah, totally. Now let's go to Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack, we've got Andy Miley's in for a bit of Beach Banner, but 
Andy, you've uh, been doing a bit more outside of being a lifeguard, which is still, from the experience of being a lifeguard, you're now going into training other people. Yeah, look, I've been doing a lot of training, as you know, for probably the last 10 or 12 years, but I took a really big focus on it um, towards the end of or beginning of last year when I was going through a lot of rehab of an injury I had. And, um, you know, some people have always said to me, you've got a great skills there to, uh, and you're great with people and, and you should really, really give it a good go with the lifeguard training and the first aid training. So, yeah, I set up my own little business um, last year and it's going really, really well. I'm doing, I'm putting a lot of lifeguards through a lot of qualifications, Cert 2s, Cert 3s, and also with the high school kids too. I've been going into high schools recently and doing a lot of first aid courses, a lot of the ocean safety stuff as well. So, yeah, I'm really thoroughly enjoying it. I actually get a lot out of training and I really, really enjoy Enjoy um, getting getting in there, getting stuck into it. So, when you do the training, what, what type of training do you do for them? Yeah, so basically, um, what the way I look at a lot of my lifeguard training is, um, you know, when I'm getting people in to do a lot of the lifeguard stuff, a lot of people don't really come from surf club backgrounds. They've never really been involved in surf clubs. You know, a lot of them, a lot of guys that I put through are really good board riders that come from a board riding background. So yeah, um, you know, they're coming in and doing all their certs twos, which is basically your basic requirements to become a professional lifeguard on the beach. So they're doing the, the cert two stuff. They're doing the advanced resuscitations, the first aid. So I offer a very variation of packages, uh, which are tailor made for, uh, for guys and girls coming in on the beaches wanting to work as professional lifeguards really and I suppose what I try and bring to my classes is, is a lot of storytelling you know as you know I've, I've been on the beaches a long time now so I can bring a lot of you know a wealth of experience to the training rooms which which is good. So if people are interested in, in getting some sort of training where's the best place to get in contact with you? Yeah, well, I've got a website. Um, it's evolutiontrainingprograms.com.au. Yeah, so just uh, reach out on there or, or just flick us an email um, or a call. And, um, yeah, I'd be happy to help out uh, at any time. Yeah, as I said, I do CPR refreshers, first aid courses, a lot of stuff for the high school kids now, which I'm getting involved in as well, which is great. Um, you know, I've been working closely with Kiama High, Aladulla High School and, and Corpus Christi down here in Albion Park as well. So, yeah, I'm slowly getting there. I'm just chiseling away at it at the moment. And, um, yeah, just hopefully it'll be a success and uh, we'll see how we go with it all. And, and how important is it for people to get trained, in, especially CPR, Look, I think CPR is one of the most fundamental and most important things you can teach anybody. Um, you know, if you could, just basic CPR can save anyone's life, you know, and it's not hard to turn a defib on. It's not hard to learn how to use a defib. So um, if there's one thing I'll get out of my classes is that I've got 20 people going out of that classroom that I know potentially could save someone's life one day. And I think that's, um, that's gold. It's worth gold basically to me. Well, it's great stuff, Andy. And uh, yeah, anyone out there listening wants to get in contact, get in contact. And uh, <laughs> every workplace should have a defib and everyone should be trained in resuscitation. Who knows? You might go on and do your lifeguard training as well and become a lifeguard. Exactly. <laughs> right. Cheers, Andy. Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks, Hoppo. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Jeremy, and he's from Sydney. He said, have you got a website for Life's a Beach so I can uh, have a look 
Well, yes, Jeremy, we do. We have it uh, at lifesabeach.co. So that's lifesabeach.co. You can click on there. You get all the episodes and also some of the merchandise you can uh, get in and buy also. So thanks uh, for your letter, and I'll catch everybody again next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.